All right. Um, my name is Jeff Heiser. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. It's so good to have you guys with us. Uh, new faces, familiar faces. It's great to be here, here with you today. Um, I just a couple weeks ago, I was watching this, docu- this Netflix, new Netflix documentary called The Great Hack. Have you got, has anyone seen this yet? It's worth a watch. And it tells this story where um, in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a Caribbean nation uh, down near uh, Venezuela, there, um, there are two major ethnic groups. There's those of African descent and those of Indian descent. And, um, those, and those two groups make up the two major political parties. So you have the, the black and African party and the Indian party, and they are the, they kind of, that's the way the elections go, one way or the other. And um, in 2010, during the election cycle, there arose this political movement called Do So. Do So, that was the tagline, Do So. And it kind of caught on among the young, um, the young black voters. And it was this resistance movement where they said, listen, the, the system has been letting us down. And we're tired of it. And so in, to show our frustration and our anger and our, our, dis, our disappointment with our governing, you know, our leaders, we are going to boycott the elections in 2010, right? It was really empowering. They, they were really um, publicly expressing their dissatisfaction. And so um, all, when the election comes along, all the do-so participants, what do they do? Well, they, they stay home. And of course, as a result, this major voting block of the black party stays home and the Indian party wins the election. Well, it comes out in the documentary that the Indian party had paid a British company called Cambridge Analytica, who studies like Facebook data, social media data, to help them win the election. And Cambridge Analytica, um, working, once again, working for the Indian party, from their offices in London, had created the whole do-so movement themselves, okay? That was impact. So these, all these young voters thought, I'm being empowered, I'm being, you know, they certainly felt empowered, but the reality is, is that they were being played, right? Listen, this is the world we live in, and we're, I mean, watch the documentary. We are kidding ourselves if we think that we're above influence. Like, we live in a world in which social media, just media in general, the general fragmentation of our society makes us particularly susceptible to outside voices that want to manipulate us and change us and um, change the way we think. So in this world that we live in where it's increasingly difficult to know who to trust, to know who to follow, who to, who to, who, um, what voices will guide our lives. We as Christians need to know what voices are we going to listen to? What voices are going to govern the decisions we make, who we perceive ourselves to be, what we do, what we think, what we say? What voices are we going to listen to? And that's exactly the question that the Israelites are, asked, are being confronted with in our passage today. We're in um, a sermon series called The Forgotten Torah, um, where we've been studying Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and today we're in Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy, as Ronnie has said the last couple weeks, is a series of farewell sermons 
that Moses is giving to the people before they enter the promised land. They're sort of like, um, like a commencement speech where the, the speaker is giving this charge to, his, to the students before they go off on the next stage of their journey. And so Moses, as we learned last week, he's, he taught them, what is your king supposed to be like when you go into the promised land? What does the ideal Israelite king look like? How is it different from the other nations around them? And today, we're going to be studying the role of the prophet. What is a prophet? What is a prophet in Israel? What does Moses think that the prophet of Israel should be like and should be doing and should be saying? And this, um, be, but because this is kind of out of our experience, at least certainly my experience, I want to give us a little summary before we dive into God's Word because it's really important. We... We really want to, be care- to make sure to be careful that we understand God's words when it's read. It's really important. Um, and so this is what's going on in our passage today. Moses starts in the first, um, the first paragraph, verses 9 through 14, by warning the Israelites that, they are going to, that there are voices that are going to confront them when they come into the land. Okay, when they arrive in the promised land, um, there will be, for example, fortune tellers. There will be people who are doing child sacrifices. There will be sorcerers, et cetera, et cetera. All these voices, these um, means of contacting other voices that will um, guide us, that will make, help us make decisions by which we, like ways in which we can garner favor with certain bo- um, persons or bodies or gods or whatever that will um, make our life go well, go smoothly. And what he says is, he says, listen, you're going to be confronted that by that, but you are not allowed to go and talk to them and try and get advice and hear from them. That is not what God's people are allowed to do. Instead, Moses tells them, and this is in the second uh, paragraph there, verses 15 through 22, that God himself will give them a prophet. And it is to the prophet they are to listen, not to the fortune tellers, etc., and Moses warns them finally that there are some who will claim to be God's prophet, but who are not. And the way that you decide, the way that you determine whether or not a prophet is a true prophet or a false prophet is if you test their words. And if their words do not come true, you know that it is a false prophet because God's words always come true. That's something you can be sure of. And so, all right, now that we have a summary, let's, if you would, if you're willing and able, please stand with me out of reverence to God's Word. Um, this is Deuteronomy chapter 18, um, verses 9 through 22. Hear now the reading of God's Word. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the indomitable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, Listen to fortune tellers and to diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, 
They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word that the Lord has not spoken? Know the word that the Lord has not spoken. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will abide forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. Okay. We're going to talk about two things today um, in this passage, the warning and the prophet. The warning and the prophet. So we're going to start here with the warning, because the Israelites were in danger of letting the voices of the culture that they were stepping into be the guide for their lives. And Moses is warning them against it. He's saying, um, don't go there. Now, ancient cultures, or um, in fact, you could say all cultures. Our, our modern culture does the same thing, where we have systems and me- methods of determining the future, right? Of receiving guidance or of appeasing a certain god or deity or whatever it is, trying to curry favor, trying to make your life go well. And the Canaanites, of course, were no different. These are the people that, in, that were currently in the promised land that Israel is going to go and dispossess. In this list, in verses 9 through 10, Right? You have what uh, offering sacrifice your child children as sacrifices, divination, fortune telling, etc. These are the means by which people contacted those voices. Right? The means by which they contacted those guiding voices, either maybe a gods or the deads, maybe, and they would make decisions based on what they received back. And of course, Moses is saying, guys, those things are abhorrent to the Lord. He hates them. Do not go down that road. Um, Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been to a fortune teller. I've never, I mean, these things are completely out of my experience, outside of my experience. I'm not, like, I'm not going to do it. Not just because this passage says not to, it just, that's not the world I live in. I'm not going to do those things. And yet, Moses still has something important to say to us today, because listen, our culture has voices, right, that we have voices in our culture that will try to guide our lives. There are practices, things that we do, and, and they're not listed here, but, the, but they're very, it's very important that we receive the same message. It's a, and, but here, and here's the problem, is that fortune-telling, right, sorcery, these sorts of things, um, think of them as kind of like rat poison, okay? Rat poison, you go and you pick it up, you ingest it, and, you know, then you die. The things that we deal with in our culture, they're a little bit more like carbon monoxide in this sense. You don't know that you're in it, right? You don't know that it's surrounding you. You can't even smell it, and yet it is just as deadly as rat poison. These things are like rat poison. The things that we deal with are a lot more like carbon monoxide. Let me illustrate this. What voices is our culture telling us to listen to? Have you noticed how 
the only heroes that we have in our culture anymore are the people that throw off the restraint of expectations and rise to achieve their fullest expression of themselves. Have you noticed that? What the culture is saying in that is that we believe that the only voice you have to listen to is yourself. Let me illustrate. Have you guys ever seen the movie Frozen? And the, you know, the, I mean, if you haven't, you at least know the song, Let It Go, that kind of took the world by storm a couple years ago. Um, listen to what Elsa says in this song. She says, I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. It's time to see what I can do. Time to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Uh, No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. What she's saying is, I don't care what anyone else says. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to be me. No rules. I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And of course, never mind that she's condemning her village to, you know, a cold, hard winter and, you know, frostbite and everything else. It doesn't matter. She is able to be herself. Now, I know the movie doesn't end like that, but that's the only song that got played on the radio, right? I mean, that song became a cultural anthem for a few years. It's the song all our kids are singing, and it's saying the you only need to listen to yourself. It's the water we swim in. It's the carbon monoxide that surrounds us. And we are in danger of letting the voices of our culture be the guide for our lives. And Moses offers us the same warning when he says, The Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. That is not what we are called to do. And it's not just because, um, you know, because God says so, although that certainly should be enough. But it's, it's that, first of all, it doesn't work. And, and also, beyond that, it's really bad for you. Let me, for, let, here, let, me, let me show you. I was flipping the, through this issue of Joanna Gaines. Do you guys know who Joanna Gaines is? Interior decorator out of Texas. Really popular. She sells stuff in Target. It's a big deal. But she has this uh, magazine called Magnolia Journal. And I was flipping through one of these um, the other day, and the theme of the issue was be free. And um, it said, be free to be yourself. And it had a picture of what that might look like. Okay, be free to be yourself. And on, it was, it was a picture of a wall hanging, and the wall hanging was of a, of a unicorn that was shooting rainbows out of its mouth. Be free to be yourself, it said. Now, um, Here's the problem. Rainbows and unicorns are a cultural artifact, right? I mean, 200 years ago, if some, you're telling someone, hey, just be yourself, would they have ever, in their wildest imaginations, put a wall hanging of a unicorn shooting rainbows out of its mouth on their They never would have. Why? Because our culture is, deter, is saying that this is what it means to be you, Right? There's no such thing as just be yourself, the, the, just listen to yourself and only you, because the, the culture around us shapes our imaginations, our desires, the things we think, the things we do. There's no such thing as just be yourself. We will always listen to voices around us. We will always listen to outside voices. It is a complete farce to say that you only need to listen to yourself. So it's not true. I mean, it, but you also don't want it to be true. I mean, just take a cold, hard look at yourself. <laughs> um, 
If you, never, if you don't have any outs, access to outside voices, what in the world are you going to do to help iron out the contradictions that exist within the things that we say to ourselves or the things that we want? What are you going to do? I mean, if it's just you and only you, like, I mean, how are, it's, you're going to devolve into absurdity because, yeah, you want a great family life, and yeah, you want to climb to the top of the corporate ladder. What do you do? Which one do you choose? You want both. At some point, you're going to have to step out of yourself and say, okay, one of these has to be is better than the other. Like, you, you can't just listen to yourself or it will be absurd because we're contradictions. It's in our nature. We, we cannot, I mean, we cannot only listen to ourselves. And God is telling the Israelites, not just that these things are abhorrent to him. He's saying, listen, they're not even going to work. It's foolish to follow them. It's absurd. It's a farce. Don't do it. Listen, we are hopelessly relational beings, and we will listen to voices outside of us. But the question is, which voice? Which voice will we listen to? Because there is a voice. Unlike all the other voices that we put, give primacy to in our lives, that we give, who we give our ear to, there is a voice that will give us life. Later on in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, God tells them that it is in His words that they will find life. That is a life that's full, that is satisfied, that is meaningful, that is flourishing. Listen to what He says. He says, "See, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving him, by walking in his ways, keeping his commandments, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord will bless you. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord, obeying his voice, for he is your life and length of days. Obeying, trusting, following, remembering the voice of God will give us life and when we give other voices primacy in our lives, it will only bring us death relationally, spiritually, morally. So great, we just need to listen to God's voice. End of story. Here's the problem, we can't just listen to God's voice. And it's not just because our cultural narratives are so intense that we can't escape them. It's because... In order to listen to God's voice, we have to be able to be in His presence, and we can't do that on our own. And so this is my second point, or first, the warning. Don't follow these voices. They will be death to you. Follow mine, and you will have life. Now, my sec now the prophet. If you look at verses 16 and 18, Moses reminds the people that when they were at Mount Horeb, that, so that's Mount Sinai, right? When they're standing there and God's speaking to them, right? They couldn't handle it. They couldn't take the voice of God. Why not? Because their sin had so alienated them from the perfect and glorious voice of God that to hear it was unbearable for them. And so, what do they say? Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire lest I die. It's intense. Their, their sinfulness had 
had so broken that relationship that they couldn't hear God, that direct communication. And so God, it's interesting that they request a prophet. And so God, at their request, he raises up a prophet, right? To, to mediate between the voice of God himself and the people. And it's really important that we recognize this, that the prophets exist because there needs to, because of a broken relationship, there needs to be a mediator between the voice of God and his people. Okay, when do, when do couples need a mediator in their marriage? When communication has broken down, right? The prophet is a mediator between God and his people. Okay, keep this, this um, episode at Horeb at Mount Sinai in your minds, because we're going to come back to it. The prophet, we need, to, we need to really understand what it is that prophets do because there's, been, there's a lot, it's, because it's not really in our, in our vocabulary a ton, it's not, we, we kind of have a misunderstanding of what prophets were. Um, a, lot, a lot of times we think of them as telling the future, but sorry to pop some bubbles, I'm sorry, um, but prophets did not primarily tell the future in the Old Testament. That was not their main role. They weren't tell, future tellers. They weren't foretelling the future. Instead of foretelling, you can think of them, as my professor would say, as forth-telling. Not foretelling, forth-telling. That means that they tell forth the will of God with the authority of God. They tell forth the will of God with the authority of God. So think of Moses, right? He is the consummate prophet, and what does he do? He tells people the law of God. He tells them how to apply it to their lives. He corrects them when they stray, Right? And he tells them how to live, telling the, declaring the will of God with the authority of God. Think of prophets sort of like ambassadors. An ambassador doesn't speak on their own authority, right? They'd, it doesn't matter what their opinions are. They speak the, the will of their country to other countries. And God's saying, the prophet he will speak on my behalf. He says, I will put my words in his mouth. These are the very words of God. That's important these, that these are the very words of God because what it means is that in this fractured and broken relationship, God is actually going to still gently and graciously communicate to his people. He's sort of like a father who's, who's condescending to his child, his son or daughter, and, and so that he can speak to her, right, and tell her stories, and he can tell his daughter that he loves her, and she can understand it. He does it because he loves her. The presence of a prophet is actually proof that God loves his people, that he cares about them, that he wants them to know him. The creator of the universe wants to know us to know him and to know to, and he wants to know us and for us to know him. And so what does that mean when he tells us to do things that are hard? What does he do, mean when he tells us to like stick at our marriage even when it's really hard? What does it mean when he tells us to to sacrifice our desires for our spouse spouse to the point where it feels like you're dying? What do you do? What does it mean when he tells us to pay our, our workers fair wages, even when it cuts into profits? What does it mean? Can you trust that voice? Even the fact that God is speaking to us, the presence of the prophet, it tells us that God is a God who loves us, who can be trusted, who's going to do what it takes so that his people can know him and love him and obey him and follow him so that they might 
live and live life to the fullest. God knows what's best for us. But here's the problem. Um, God's people almost never listened to the prophets. They didn't do it. They would not listen to the prophets. God's saying, this is, my, this is my very word, and they would not listen. What do you do? There were a few, um, a, few faithful, a faithful few who began to look for a prophet who would be like Moses. And they used this passage as the promise for that hope. They said, I mean, it says, God, um, God says um, that I will raise up for you a prophet. Moses says, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. There was a prophet that was coming who was going to be like Moses, who was going to have the authority of Moses to speak the word of God like Moses did. And this is something like 1400 BC. I mean, this is a long time. <laughs> And God is making a promise that there will be one who will be the prophet, the prophet, capital T, capital P, prophet. 1,400 years later, Jesus is saying things like this, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. This is prophet. He's speaking and doing the direct, he's speaking the direct word of God. That's what he's claiming. He's doing the direct will of God. That's what he's claiming. This is prophetic language. Jesus is saying, I am the prophet. God is speaking directly to my people through me. The apostles, after the, after the resurrection, as they began to more fully understand their Bibles, this hit them really hard that Jesus was the prophet that was promised. And that's what's going on in Hebrews chapter 1, our, our New Testament reading today. He says, I mean, long time, a long time ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but now he has spoken to us by his son. Like, formerly we needed the prophets, now we have the son of God himself, that God is speaking to us, like he's speaking to us through him. But it's more than that. It says that he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It's not just that he speaks for God. It's that he is God. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus is and the Father are one. And this is what if you turn to Revelation chapter 1, you'll see the Apostle John confronted by this reality. It says that he, um, John has this, um, this vision, right? And in that vision, he experiences the full glory of Jesus Christ revealed to him. And, and, he's, and, and, and his response is to fall on his, it says, he fell, I fell on my face as one dead. That's the experience. That's how in, intense that experience was. Now, think back to Mount, Hor to Mount Sinai in the, this episode we were talking about earlier. What did they say? They said, let us not hear again the voice of God, lest I die. And John is experiencing that. He's experiencing the glory of Christ, and he's falling on his face as one who has died. It's intense. And what does Jesus do? He stretches out his hand and he says, 
Fear not. Fear not. Now, God back on Mount Sinai is saying, listen, it is good that, I ha- that they experience this fear of my voice because it is intense and it will, it will consume them in their sinfulness, in this broken relationship. And now you have in Revelation, Jesus saying, you're experiencing my glory. Fear not. What happened? What has changed? That relationship, that broken relationship that made it dangerous to be in the presence of God has been healed. Our Lord, the prophet, the Lamb of God, the Word of God become flesh. He died for His people so that that relationship could be healed, so that we could hear the voice of God and not be afraid and not be consumed. That relationship is restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, the question is, then, how do we know the voice of God today? Because we need to be really careful because we can start to think... um, well, listen to this. Listen, to this. have you ever have you guys heard of the book Eat, Pray, Love? It's, it took over the. I mean, it was this huge thing. Made a movie out of it. Eat, Pray, Love. Elizabeth Gilbert. This is how she describes God. She says that God is my own little voice from within my my own self. God dwells within you as you yourself, exactly the way you are. Listen, we need to be really careful with the voice of God. Because we can start to think that our voice is the voice of God. This is what you, I don't know if you've ever had someone say to you, you know, it's a young man, maybe, he, you know, he's dating someone he shouldn't be, and he says something like, I just really feel at peace about it. No. <laughs> no. He's claiming that God is speaking to him, that God has the exact same desires that he has. No, the voice of God is not identical to our voice. We need to be really careful. And so how do you then access the voice of God? Jesus says that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. If you want to know the voice of Christ, you, you, you hear it from your brothers and sisters in the faith. Christ, by His Holy Spirit, is among us when we are together. And that's why we have to prioritize Christian community. Shameless plug, this is why we do church membership. is because it's, what you're saying is you're saying, I am, so, I am opening myself to the Spirit of God. I'm opening myself to the voice of God to such an extent that I'm willing to commit myself to the community in which it is found. We need Christian community or we will only think the voice of God is our own. And the voice of God, we need it. We need it for our lives. We need it to live a full and true life. And as life is found, not in the voices of our culture, not the things that, we, that they, it promises, but in the voice of God as He calls us to serve Him, and to be like his son. Amen.